All right, we on? All right, good. Yep. Hey, Slate. Yeah? Come in here real quick. Oh, why is the studio set up? Well, I know we're not recording season six for a little while yet, but I, I kind of wanted you to come in here and, and hang out with me because it's the holidays and I... This feels like a trick. Why would you say that? Of course. Because all you do is trick me. Well, I'll tell you what. Once you sit down and I'll, uh, we'll talk about setup? it. Yep, you're good to go. This really feels like a trick. Well, it's not a trick. What is it then? It's the Slums of Film History Holiday Special. Special. With your hosts, Slate and Tom. We'll be talking about all those classic and not-so-classic holiday programs from past and present. With special guest appearances by... Judy Garland, Liza Minnelli, Bean Crosby, David Bowie, Chewbacca, his wife Mala, his son Lumpy, the Heat Miser, the Snow Miser, Nestor, the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey, Mr. T, Emmanuel Lewis, and many, many more. So join us for the Slums of Film History Holiday Special, special, beginning right after these messages. I'm just, I'm just kidding. We don't have any messages. Nobody advertises on this show. Why are you doing this to me? You <laughs> well, know I hate Christmas. I know. Well, first of all, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to oh, you, Slate. Oh, I hate this. And I hate to everybody else. do this. But look, you know, it's Christmas time. I have Christmas spirit, sort of. It's time to drink and be happy and shit. And so I've been wanting to do a Christmas episode for some time now. Now, I know we kind of did one before with the Bad Santas Go to Hell mm-hmm. episode, which was about Santas that kill Anyway, I grew up on Christmas holiday specials, right? TV I hate specials. how much you love Christmas. It drives me <laughs> insane. You decorate, every, you love Christmas, and it makes me hate it even more. I hate it. I should have known, though, because you've been tinkering around, and we've got this weird look on your face. Like, I should have known. It's yeah, fine. You drink your way through it okay. later, and you'll be all right. Fine. But I've been wanting to talk about these Christmas specials. I grew up on them. You grew up on them. I'm sure you hated them. So I'm going to do an episode about it, and this is this is it. Before we get started, let me set up some rules for the holiday special special, which is, other than a few firsts in history, I'm otherwise not going to talk about Christmas movies that were released in the theater. Okay. Okay, so there's plenty of TV Christmas movies. I'm going to talk about them, but things like, you know, Miracle on 34th Street, Christmas Story, Christmas Vacation, I'm not talking about them. So this film podcast has nothing to do with film today. That's not true. Okay. There are, movies do come in to play. You, you'll see. Just Listen, just join me on this magical Christmas journey, Slate. Uh, I feel like I don't really have a choice, but fine. No, you don't. So, moving on. Okay, so since I'm not going to talk about theatrical movies for the most part, that means I'm going to be focusing mostly on TV. However, I'm not going to be talking about Christmas-themed episodes from regular shows. Okay. Because there's a million of those fucking things. So, mm-hmm. every TV show, sitcom, and everything has a Christmas episode. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about Christmas-specific specials. Like, okay. They came out solely for being a special program at Christmas. All right, well, let's start with some Christmas history. So, in a nutshell, the popularity of the holiday has waxed and waned since its inception. While Christmas celebrations were often elaborate during the Middle Ages, by the Victorian era, enthusiasm was sort of in decline. Also, it wasn't quite celebrated the same way it is now. And then something magical would happen in the mid-19th century that would essentially usher in a new way we celebrate and look at the holiday. And that was the publication of what I'm going to dub the first Christmas special, and that is A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the story of Christmas Carol. It's about Ebenezer Scrooge, who is visited on Christmas Eve by ghosts who show him how much of a dick he is, and then he's doomed to walk the earth as a dick when he dies, and then he changes his way and he's not so much a dick. As a dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Some fun facts 
facts on the book, it was written in six weeks in the fall of 1843 and it was published during the Christmas season that same year. And it was a major hit. Some of the things that we associate with Christmas now, like having big meals, Christmas caroling, decorating a tree, and making the season a time for having families together, and the emphasis that Christmas is a time for charity, all was mainstreamed from this book. Really? Yeah. So I actually probably would have liked Christmas before a Christmas carol much more because nobody gave a shit about it. <laughs> Charles Dickens ruined Christmas. <laughs> the night Charles Dickens ruined Christmas. <laughs> so fun, or maybe not so fun fact for A Christmas Carol. This book didn't make a lot of money for him at the time, even though it was very popular, because he had an argument with the publishers. They wanted to charge more money. He wanted to make sure that the common man could afford it. Mm-hmm. So he had to self-publish it. And so he forked over a lot of his own money to get it published. Like the Slums of Film History book. I knew that you would tie that in. <laughs> coming this spring or summer. I'm, I'm working on it, guys. <laughs> I'm trying. Makes a great Christmas gift next year. So anyway, that's where this all started, was the Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I love that I know who to blame now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so let's move away from the Dickensian era and take a magical journey to roughly 50 years after that with the dawn of film. Okay. So I've talked about this before. I'm going to touch on it again. So the first filmed Christmas special, I'm going to call it, is the first filmed Christmas movie, and that was in 1897 in a short film called Santa Claus Filling Stockings. We talked about this before. Oh, yeah. And it's simply Santa putting toys in stockings, right? That's it. It's a lost film, so it doesn't exist. But the first film that is still in existence that is a a holiday special or a holiday film is Santa Claus or The Visit from Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. And that was a year later, and it's the same thing. It's the same shit, but that film is still around. You can watch it on YouTube. After that, the floodgates opened, and all these types of Christmas shorts came out, these silent movies, including the first adaptation of A Christmas Carol, your favorite (laughs) book now, that came out in 1901, and it was called Scrooge or Marley's Ghost, and it was only like a six-minute film. About half of that is still in existence now. I bet you wish none of it existed. I'm not watching it. One thing to note before moving on is that these films seem to be pretty popular, but were usually stories either about Santa Claus or some version of A Christmas Carol. Those were the main two things. And the second adaptation of Christmas Carol came in 1908, and the third was 1910. So they just kept cranking these out. Mm -hmm. All right, so we're going to move away from that. And like the ghost of Christmas past, let me take you through time to later in the 20th century to the dawn of a magical invention called television, where the rest of our magical journey will take place. Oh, good. (laughs) So let's talk about TV real quick. So TV existed since 1927, but it really wasn't commercially viable and or a lot of people were buying it and using it till after World War II. And of course, it's because the technology improved and it was more affordable. Mm-hmm. And between 1949 and 1969, the number of households in the U.S. with at least one TV set rose from less than a million to 44 million in wow. 22 years. So yeah. it was rapidly growing. And of course, that means that there's plenty of programming, including the famed TV Christmas special. So the first Christmas special I could find that was televised was the NBC televised Chesterfield Summer Club radio program on December 24th, 1948. It was a radio show from singer Perry Como. He had done these radio shows. I know Perry Como. Yeah, you love Perry Como. I I love him as much as you love Charles Dickens. Oh, great. That was his first move to this new medium of TV. NBC just brought cameras into the NBC sound studio Mm -hmm. and just recorded his radio broadcast. They were like, Perry Como is so great as a radio (laughs) star that he can be a TV star. Yeah, but I know. People loved Perry Como. I know. It was crazy. They really did love him. Really. And his show was sort of the origin of the variety show. They didn't really have skits, but they had like banter with the audience or other people on the 
they just played music and he sang and that was it. And they brought a camera in there and they, they recorded that. And also what's funny about the Chesterfield Supper Club is that it's sponsored by cigarettes. This yeah, whole thing was like, nothing but cigarette advertisement. Yeah, I love that though. I know, that's great. It's like, Merry Christmas, smoke <laughs> cigarettes. Yeah, it's awesome. So that's what that was. It was a, technically the first TV special that I could find. Yeah, that's what everyone's getting for Christmas this year for me too. Cigarettes. cigarettes <laughs> cartons of cigarettes. Merry Christmas, kids. Yeah, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. So moving on from that, during that time, same thing with Bob Hope, who was the next notable person in Christmas TV programming. Uh, for years, Bob Hope had entertained troops at Christmas time, both overseas and on the radio. But in 1953, he premiered his first television Christmas program, and it contained skits, banter with the audience, some joke telling, and special guest appearance from Frank Sinatra. So that really sort of honed the variety show Christmas program. Yeah, it was like vaudeville. Yeah. Yeah. But it really sort of set the template even more for what's going to follow mm-hmm. in these live shows. But beyond the variety show format, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, regular shows in the 50s would have Christmas specials. I talked about that. But the first one I could find that was a scripted show that wasn't a variety show was a TV broadcast opera called Amal and the Night Visitors. Okay. You ever heard of that? Nope. According to Wikipedia, it was commissioned by NBC and first performed by the NBC Opera Theater on December 24th, 1951. It was recorded in New York City at Rockefeller Center. And it was broadcast live on television from that venue as the debut production of the Hallmark Hall of Fame, which is an anthology program on American television sponsored by Hallmark Cards, hence the name. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, the Hallmark Hall of Fame is the longest running primetime series in the history of television. Oh, really? Yeah. So this wasn't just arguably the first televised Christmas special. It was the first Hallmark program, too, and we're going to come back to that. Yeah, I bet. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, we will. Oh, and in case you're wondering, the story of Amal and the Night Visitors is essentially retelling of the story of the three wise men from the point of view of a disabled young boy named Amal, who lives in poverty with his widowed mother near Bethlehem. I never saw it. I don't give a shit about it, but it sounds like a heartwarming story, oh, doesn't it? The kid's name is Amal. Yeah. A-M-A-L. A-M-A-H-L, but yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. I was really confused. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> On that note, let's move out of the 50s and go into what is arguably the most important decade of Christmas specials, particularly animated ones, the 60s. The first example I want to talk about is, of course, the stop-motion animated show Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Mm-hmm. It first aired Sunday, December 6, 1964 on the NBC television network. Fun fact, its story is based on the song lyrics from a 1949 song written by Johnny Marks. Itself was based on a department store coloring book written by Marks' brother-in-law, Robert L. May. Hmm. That's where Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer that's, came that's from. That's the origin story. A department store coloring book. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. That became a song that became an animated special. Mm-hmm. The show was a massive hit, of course, and it has been telecast every year since 1964, making it the longest continuously running Christmas TV special in history. I'm going to say something nice. Are you ready? Yes. Everyone ready? Yeah, I am. It's good. I love stop motion animation. I do too. I think there's such an amazing craft. I miss it in life that, you know, everything is CGI. Yeah, and, um, I do too. I love that this exists. I don't care about Rudolph. He can eat shit for all I care. But right. I love the craft of, of stop motion. I miss it. I do too. And I like that 1960s look of stop motion too. Yeah, me too. It's, it's not high budget. It's not like Tim Burton fucking Nightmare Before Christmas extravagant. It's, it's, it's super jerky janky. and janky. Yeah. And I love it me too. too. It's great. Don't forget Rudolph can eat shit. <laughs> Let me move on and say that this basically put Rankin Bass on the map. And just a little history on them. The Rankin Bass Productions Incorporated, founded as Videocraft International, was founded by Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass on September 14, 1960. The majority of Rankin Bass's work, including all of their Animagic stop motion productions, that's what they they called their stop motion was Animagic. Animagic. Yep. Cute. Of course, they were well known for. All that was created in Tokyo, Japan. They had Japanese animators that did all that stuff. So pretty interesting. 
they did a lot of different animated shows, as you know, I'm going to talk about them, but they also did films too and traditional animation. So some of their traditional animation films was like The Hobbit mm-hmm. and The Last Unicorn, which is a cult classic now or considered a cult favorite. It's a weird movie. Yeah. It's weird as shit. But anyway, that's a Rankin Bass production. The 60s output for the Christmas special include The Cricket on the Hearth, which was actually, I bring that up because that was their second Christmas special after Rudolph. It was traditional animation. And that's actually from another Charles Dickens Christmas story that's not as well known. Well, yeah, it's because Charles Dickens sucks. No one's ever heard of that one. Yeah. He sucks. He just couldn't bring back that lightning in a bottle. A cricket on the shelf? On, a cricket on the hearth. Oh, that sounds dumb. It's pretty dumb. Uh, I mean, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer also sounds dumb in retrospect, but... Right, but Charles Dickens didn't write that. Yeah, so... It was a coloring book, so... Yeah, that's yeah. why I like it. <laughs> you know, then they steered into the more religious fair with the little drummer boy, which is taken from that song and it follows his drummer boy and he plays drums for jesus or whatever when jesus is born that's the third one that came out and then right after that was frosty the snowman another classic considered a classic named after another song and that was traditional animation and that's still being shown everywhere you Mm -hmm. see that all the time so rankin bass was hitting the markers in the 60s yeah they were just like boner for christmas yeah no shit now the 70s would prove to be a little challenging for them and we'll talk about that in a little bit but in the 60s rankin bass was riding high the other animated special that was riding high was can you guess oh um charlie brown christmas right yep charlie brown christmas came out in 1965 a year after rudolph and it made its debut on cbs on december 9th of that year Mm -hmm. in the special charlie brown is depressed he doesn't know why i do like that i do like that he's depressed depression he's depressed the whole time he doesn't know why they you know they hire him to do a play nobody follows direction he gets a shitty tree he kills it and then you know linus says something about jesus and charlie brown feels better about it yeah that part's kind of gay but i like the sad tree i like this depression of all of it yeah it's kind of dark like when you watch it i mean it's pretty it's pretty dark it's pretty dark yeah and the thing is what i really like about it is similar to what i like about rudolph in that it's like really like low budget they didn't have money yeah so the animation's blocky they got kids to do the voices and of course the kids aren't really good actors so their cues are off but it's endearing yeah to me and they thought like when this came out this was going to be a fucking disaster like when they previewed it they're like they almost didn't show this show uh-huh. because it's like a disaster and they're like with a jazz soundtrack whoever heard of that it is kind of a clunky mess um, yeah but it's it's, it's so good. cool but it's, it's great good. it's really yeah. good and the soundtrack done by vince garaldi is instantly iconic and yeah. fucking classic and that's my christmas album that's in my car right now and i will play that through the holiday that is the shit you can hate christmas but that album is the shit and i'll fight you over that tom is like not making this up either his upstairs bathroom which is my bathroom when i come here <laughs> is decorated in charlie brown christmas a, yeah it's a shower curtain it's <laughs> bath towels oh yeah i'm not fucking around I yeah hate it. <laughs> Makes me so mad. <laughs> That's why I do it. Oh, I'm decorating the shit out of this place. That's great. All right. Anyway, so it's a classic. It's shown every year. It's amazing. The third one I want to talk about, and I know you love this one, is How the Grinch Stole Christmas from 1966. Mm-hmm. Directed and co-produced by Chuck Jones. It's based on the book by Dr. Seuss, The Story of the Grinch Taking Away Christmas from the Town Folks of Whoville. It's a classic story. I think it's one of the best animated stories. Definitely the best adaptation of Dr. Seuss that was ever put in. And the best iteration of that story. Yeah, agreed. It's it's great. I don't know. The Jim Carrey version of Jesus um, Christ must yeah. have been pretty good. I didn't see that. Nobody it, saw Well, I, I'm sure it probably made $8 zillion. There's but... people that watch that and like it, and I, I hate them. 
I just remember Christmas when it came out people. and I was just like, no, no, no. And now, just this year, there's another Grinch special. No, there's like another animated. Grinch movie. Yeah. And Jim Carrey's not in it, right? No, it's not Jim Carrey. It's like Benedict Cumberbatch plays the Grinch or the voice of the Grinch. Okay. So I heard it's better than the Jim Carrey one, but that's not faint much, praise. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, moving on. So before we get out of the 60s, I want to talk about the live-action Christmas specials because they were still going on. You had Perry Como, of course, Bob mm-hmm. Hope, who uh, were doing their thing still throughout the 50s and 60s. And then you had Bing Crosby joining in, who had his first holiday special with Frank Sinatra in 1957 called Happy Holidays with Frank and Bing. Kind of original. Again, that variety show type of uh, style with a lot of singing, a lot of banter. And then he would continue throughout the 60s. Bing would continue throughout the 60s with the Bing Crosby Christmas show. We'll talk more about Bing in a minute. But I want to digress for a minute and talk about a 1963 show called the Judy Garland Christmas Special. Ooh. Yeah, it premiered December 22nd of that year. And it was part of a short-lived Judy Garland show. So, yeah, I'm talking about a Christmas-themed episode as part of a series. But that was very short-lived. That show didn't go for very long at all. But it was kind of a variety show with a lot of singing, dancing, and whatnot. Oh, I know all about the Judy Garland show. As a gay man, I'm required to know a lot about Judy Garland. Uh, That's fair. That's Mm -hmm. that's why I figure your ears would finally perk up when Mm -hmm. I talked about this. It's both endearing and kind of awkward. Like, her kids are in there with her, and they're dancing and singing and stuff, too. Liza Minnelli shows up with her then-boyfriend, and they dance. And that's it's the whole thing's, like, really awkward awkward but it's kind of a nice christmas thing it's also kind of rough too because judy garland was not in great shape Ooh, then yeah and well, that's why gays love her so much because she was such a hot ass mess yeah she yeah. was a hot ass mess and you could tell she was keeping it together but it was a really melancholy christmas special i think another piece of that well, why it was and i'll just talk in a second is that was in december 1963 and i mean kennedy was killed like a month before yeah so that was probably a dark christmas for a lot of people they also just like pilled her up they were like you're so fat judy you have to take all these diet <laughs> so pills and, and like they so made her take all these diet pills and then she, which made her crazy and then right. she drank too much because they kept telling her she was fat and she was like i'll drink myself to death that's crazy and like so that whole like watching that special is just like watching the studios just like murder her <laughs> and i love it <laughs> that's terrible yeah she was a disaster but but the thing is even then even late in the game like that and if you watch the special she's got talent for days man even at her most pill popped high as fuck self can still belt the shit out of a song oh yeah she's amazing but it's sad yeah hollywood ruined her yeah she was a really talented person that just got destroyed yeah yeah on that note let's take a magical journey away from the 60s and i was just starting to enjoy this though talking about (laughs) all of the things that hollywood destroyed we're going to the 70s so we're definitely going to a dark period here the first special i want to talk about in the 70s is the 1970 rankin bass animated show called santa claus is coming to town Mm -hmm. and it's of course titled after a popular christmas song that song came out in 1934 so none of these specials preceded the song that they're named after a lot of people think that like they they came out at the same time Mm -hmm. but this song came out what almost 40 years before so basically their whole shtick was oh let's pick a popular song and then come up with a animated version of it yeah. for TV. And Rankin Bass sure as shit did. This is like the origin story of Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And a quick synopsis here. Chris Kringle, future Santa Claus, was abandoned as a baby and through weird circumstances is raised by elves 
who used to be toy makers or some shit. It's mm-hmm. very, very strange. Okay. Kringle grows up and wants to bring toys to this shitty village called Sombertown, which is a place you'd feel oh at home God, at. I want to move there. Yeah, I bet. And it's a place where the Stalin-esque asshole dictator named Burger Meister Meisterburger has banned toys. Santa Claus basically becomes a fugitive, starts a revolution, and overthrows the government, and then gives all the kids toys or something. Is that true? It's kind of close to that. Okay, so it's, it's your version of that. Yeah, it's mostly that, though. That's, uh-huh. that's the basic plot element. I just made it sound more exciting than it actually is. Oh, and he meets Mrs. Claus and gets married. The end. It's not their best, but it's definitely not their worst. But it does stand out in the fact that Santa Claus, in the younger days before his beard is white, he's a ginger. Oh, really? Yeah, he's got red hair. Well, that's interesting because I was just about to ask, when he met Mrs. Claus, was she hot or was she always like old white haired lady? No, she was hot. She's she pretty was hot. hot. Yeah, she's pretty hot. And she has a first name. Do you know what her first name is? No, Dolores. I feel like nobody knows what Mrs. Claus's first name is. So I had to dig it up. We're actually about to learn something right We're going to learn what Mrs. Claus's first name is according to Rankin Bass. It's Jessica. Jessica Claus? Yep. That's insane. That's her name, Jessica. I, nev- I never would have thought that that would have been her name. I thought it was going to be Martha or well, some old lady name. Well, the thing is, there's other names based on other properties. So she's got other first names. Some of them are Mary, Gertrude, and Carol. Okay, those But Rankin Bass is like Jessica's her first name. So I'm going with Rankin Bass. I like Jessica. Yeah, I yeah, like Jessica, Jessica Claus. Claus. Yeah. Yeah, and he's a ginger. Uh huh. And let me just ask one more question about yeah. Miss Claus. She have titties? Yeah, she's kind of. I'll she show you a picture of her. Oh my God. I'm so excited. All yeah, right, yeah. let's look. Okay. All right, so Slate's looking right now. Okay, Jessica Claus. Oh, damn. Damn, girl. Yeah. She's hot. <laughs> she got titties, too. Yeah, man. Yeah. She was, a, she was really a hot one. like her Barbara Streisand type of hairdo. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. It's super mod. It's really, really sophisticated. She's classy. She, ooh, she looks great. Yeah, yeah. She looks real good. Unfortunately, she doesn't look as hot in the follow-up to this one called The Year Without a Santa Claus from 1974. This is basically where Santa Claus is sick, like the one year a day that he actually has to fucking work. And he's like, I'm going to take the night off. And for a few minutes, though, Jessica, a.k.a. Mrs. Claus, does a whole musical number where she's like, anybody can be Santa Claus. And she dons the suit. And you're like, hey, this is progressive. Mrs. Claus is going to go and like save the day. She's going to be Santa Claus because anybody can be Santa Claus. Damn yeah. It. And this is from 1974, you know, 40 years ago. And then she changed her mind. She's like, oh, that's silly. Because I'm a woman. Like, it's the room or something all of a sudden. <laughs> it's so funny that yeah. they gave her a whole musical number, and then she's like, never mind. Disregard. Yeah, it's exactly what happens. <laughs> it is exactly what happens. They're like, this, this thing like, has really? got to be 22 minutes, yeah. and we've only got about 15 story. But the notable thing about this, besides the fact that she's a woman and can't do Santa Claus stuff, apparently, because it's the 70s, mm-hmm. there are some two very flamboyantly gay characters in this, the Heat Miser and the Snow Miser. Do you remember these guys? No. So they are trying to stop Santa Santa Claus or Christmas, I don't know. One wants snow in the in Florida. The other one wants heat at the North Pole, you know, uh-huh. to warm things up. And they both have their own song about the heat miser and the snow miser. You don't remember these? No. So these are two gay characters that hate Christmas? <laughs> yeah, pretty, <laughs> yes. That's, yes. Uh-huh. That's exactly it. Listen to the song. Okay. I'm Mr. White Christmas. I'm Mr. Snow. I'm Mr. Touch. Turns the snow in my clutch. <laughs> I'm too much. 
Okay, so we're back from listening to the Heat Miser, Snow Miser song. Here's my question, though. So they've got two flamboyantly gay characters. Why are there two bad guys? Why isn't there just one bad guy? I don't know. And they're against each other, too. So it's a, it's a fucking mess. Keep keep it simple, guys. Yeah. Simplify. But you just... only need one flamboyantly gay character that's... Uh... Well, now they got two. Uh-huh. Too and much. they're also mama's boys, too, because their mom is Mother Nature. And at the end, spoiler, she tells them to behave and act right and... She makes them compromise or whatever. Fun fact, so they made a live-action version of this. I watched some of it. It's dreadful, but the Heat Miser is played by Harvey Firestein, so that should tell you something. He's like, I'm the Heat Miser. <laughs> yeah, that's ex- it, yes, that's exactly right. So who played the tall, skinny Snow Miser? Oh, so I think Snow Miser is Michael McKeon. Yeah, from uh, Spinal Tap. Spinal and, Tap. Is he, and... in Clue? he in Clue? Yeah, and he was in Best in Show. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And he was in you know Better Call Saul. Yeah, it's a good show. Anyway, yeah, so there you go. 1976 saw the first Rudolph sequel called Rudolph's Shiny New Year, and it's just plain fucking oh, terrible. Sounds terrible. Have you seen it? No, of course right, not. So... I haven't seen any of these things. <laughs> so it's about Baby New Year who gets made fun of because he's got big ears, of course. Uh-huh. And everyone he meets laughs at him. Like, he's a fucking baby toddler. And they're like, You're And they're ugly. like pointing and laughing because yeah. he's got big ass ears. Yep. Oh, that's fine. And anyway, he gets kidnapped his name's happy that's his first name because of happy oh, new year so dumb it's fucking stupid it's really dumb and he gets kidnapped by this christmas buzzard named eon a christmas buzzard it looks oh. it's a christmas buzzard oh, and, and he hate christmas and so rudolph has to go and joins up with these clock-based animals to save him because it's all about new year's counting down so mm. he's got like general ticker who's a military clock a camel with a clock in his hump and a big ass whale that has like a clock in his tail so it's really terrible. And what's funny, though, and the most fucked up part of the show is Rudolph finds Happy New Year and then basically, like, laughs in his fucking face when he sees his ears and then, like, tells him, well, that's a good thing that I laugh in your fucking face. Oh, that you Rudolph that. should know better. He's the one that got made fun of. That's the thing. But he's like, it's good that I'm laughing at you. Here, I'll show you a clip. Come on, Happy. Let's see those old ears of yours. Come on. We're friends, aren't we? (laughs) Anna, don't get upset because I laughed. I couldn't help myself. Those ears made me feel so wonderful that all the happiness inside me just, just had to pop out. So Rudolph's basically like, you should be happy that you're bullied because that makes other people happy to bully you. Doesn't even make any sense. No. He's like, your ears are so big that it made me so happy. And it's like, that's not a thing. You laughed at him because his ears look fucking ridiculous. Right. And you're a dick. Rudolph, you're a fucking dick. Right. Rudolph, you need to be finding a good plastic surgeon to try to help fix this problem. Not laughing at him and being like, you made me happy with your deformity. Like, that's not the way that works. No, it's not. That's some bullshit. Yeah. So anyway, I had to share that with you. Thank you. So also that same year, they released uh, Frosty's Winter Wonderland, another sequel. And that one is about how Frosty wants to get laid, and so the kids help make him a wife. And so oh, now really? Frosty gets laid, yeah. It doesn't show him getting laid. I'm just, I made that up, but he does have a snow wife. Is it Jessica Snowman? Oh, no. Her name's Crystal. Crystal? Yeah. That's kind of hot. Yeah, it's pretty hot. She's a stripper. Yeah. So, like so yeah. All right. The next show I got to talk about 
It's from 1977, and I have to talk about this because this is one of the main reasons I did this fucking show. And it is another Rankin-Bass show called Nestor, the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey. Mm-hmm. I feel like you've talked about this Because I fucking am like, what the fuck? All right, let me tell you about Nestor, the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey. First of all, it's the darkest, most depressing, or at least one of the most depressing Ooh. Christmas stories ever. You're going to mm-hmm. love this yeah. one. So basically, it's about Nestor, and he has long ears because, of course, you got to have a deformity. Here's the thing. Let me talk about this real quick. Let me backtrack and say this whole Rankin Bass style is there's a narrator, usually played by a celebrity like Burl Ives or Andy Griffith, and he's like, "Oh, I remember that Christmas when when yeah, oh, you don't know about you know Candy the Christmas Hooker? Well, let me tell you, just made up, (laughs) yeah." And then you go through this whole like thing about the story. So same thing with Nestor. It's like this donkey who I guess is Santa's donkey. He hauls like shit around the workshop. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, a lot of people don't realize that the Nestor, the long-eared Christmas donkey is important for uh, Christmas. Oh, you don't know who Nestor is? Well, let me tell you. Right. Oh, and that narrator's name is Spieltoe. That's the name of the donkey that narrates it. What the fuck stupid. is that? That's stupid. Anyway, Spieltoe is Santa's current beast of burden around the toy factory, but he's talking about his ancestor from a long time ago who actually, like, had a part in the Jesus story. Okay. Anyway, Nestor's story starts where he's in a stable with his mother, and, of course, all the other animals laugh at him because he's got big-ass ears. Including Rudolph. Yeah, Rudolph shows up, travels in time. Your deformity makes me happy. (laughs) Makes me happy. Right. Then what happens is uh, the Romans come to get some animals from the Olaf who runs the stable. They pay him some money, and he's like, here, take these animals. And I guess Nestor had these stockings on his ears, so when they popped off because he was laughing, and the Romans are like, this animal's defective. We're just going to take the rest of these animals because you tried to rip us off. And so Olaf's, like, really fucking pissed off and, like, throws Nestor around and, like, throws him out in the snow. So... Nestor gets abused, savage, and then gets thrown out in the snow to die, and his mother breaks out to go save him, and so they can't find any shelter, so she covers him. She dies in the storm, and Nestor's a fucking orphan. Really? That's the next scene. I didn't show Slate that. sounds (laughs) great. His mother dies. He goes on this journey. He's lost. He's, like, wandering around. He's all sad because his mom died. She kind of becomes, like, a ghost that talks to him later. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Nestor runs into this cherub named Tilly. She's a flying baby, and she sounds like she's got, like, cigarette voice, like she's been a chain smoker forever. Uh She's like, come, come. She's like, Nestor, listen, I'm a Batman baby cherub. Yeah, starring. (laughs) Sponsored by Chesterfield Cigarettes. Yeah, starring Harvey Firestein. (laughs) So she says, hey, there's something wondrous that's going to happen. You just need to be at this stable in Bethlehem. So through a bunch of stuff or whatever, Mary and Joseph, of course, show up and oh, they boy. need a donkey. And so they get Nestor and he like guides him through a sandstorm because his mother guides him and they get to the manger. And he helped Jesus be born by getting him to the manger. That was See, his this thing. is the problem is that Jesus comes in and ruins everything. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> So then after Nestor helps Jesus get to the stable or whatever, Mary and Joseph, then he just goes back home to the stable where Olaf was running it. And they're all, A, happy to see him, but how the fuck do they know that Jesus was born? And B, why would Nestor even want to go back there? They're responsible for his mother's death, and all the animals always made fun of him. Yeah, and they he was basically like, you aren't making me even a nickel, and so you're worthless. And now Nestor goes back, and he's all happy. Yeah, what the fuck is that? Stupid. That pisses me off. Yeah. Because they came up with a New Testament solution to an Old Testament problem. <laughs> sure, sure. Right? Yeah. He should have gotten some serious eye-for-an-eye revenge. I even came up with a Scenario. Here's how it should have ended. If uh-huh. I had the money and like the little I action figures, I didn't see this coming. That you've been planning this Christmas episode because you've had this look in your eye 
for days now, and I know you've planned this whole thing. Out. I have, and mm-hmm. here's how Nestor the Christmas Donkey should have ended. You scene. Nestor goes back to the farm. Olaf comes out to meet him. He's all smiles on his face, but little does he know Nestor has these razors on his ears, whips him around, and cuts Olaf's throat. And then he just sits there and watches him bleed out, bleed out on the ground, like that. Not saying snow a fucking gets word. All red. Yeah, you see the yeah the snow turning red. Then he turns his gaze to the stable, walks over there, and he kicks open the door. And all the animals in there, and they're like, "Sorry, Nestor, we didn't mean to make fun of you." He doesn't say shit. Like whips his ear around and hits like the lantern on the wall, and it falls off and breaks in the hay, and then just catches the whole stable on fire. And then the next scene. Have Nestor walking away in slow motion while As this fucking thing behind him is on fire. Yeah. Cut to black, end scene. That's yeah. how that motherfucking show should have ended. Yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> so, anyway, fuck that show. All right, moving on. Another thing from 1977 on a good note is Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, which was, I think, one of Jim Henson's early forays into Christmas special. Mm-hmm. And it's based on a children's book by the same name. Have you seen this? Have no. you ever seen it? It's a musical. It's actually kind of decent. It's. I think it's narrated by Kermit. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's all these like otters, and they're just playing a lot of kind of countryfied Christmas stuff. Paul Williams, if you know him from the 70s, mm-hmm, he did yeah. a lot of Muppet songs and stuff, too. He's the one that did all the music for it. It's, okay. it's, it's a good like show. I might but, not hate this. Yeah, um, it's actually like pretty decent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's one of their prominent ones that also has kind of had some staying power. We'll talk about the Muppets a little bit later. But another thing from 1977 since I'm bringing it back around to Bing Crosby, is his Christmas special called The Bing Crosby's Merry Old Christmas. And I want to discuss this one because even though Crosby had been doing these types of variety show Christmas shows for a while, this one always stands out because this one also has that trope where another celebrity just lives down the road. Uh-huh, right. And this is the special where he's in England for some reason because he's at this distant relative's house. I know this one. And yeah. who should knock on the door? But, David Bowie. Yeah, David <laughs> Bowie is like, oh, I usually come and play the piano. And then they end up singing a, a song together, which is the Silent Night, Peace on Earth duet that you uh-huh. sometimes hear. Yeah. And it was awkward, too. Like, their banter is kind of awkward, but it's also endearing and stuff. But it's just that cheesy kind of thing. But I had to bring up David Bowie and Bing Crosby singing yeah. together. Hello. You're the new butler. <laughs> well, it's been a long time since I've been the new anything. Oh, I'm David Bowie. I live down the road. Oh. Come on in. I'm Bing. Oh, I'm pleased to meet you. You're the one that sings, right? Well, right or wrong, I sing either way. Oh, well, I sing too. Oh, good. What kind of singing? Well, mostly the contemporary stuff. Do you, uh, do you like modern music? Oh, I think it's marvelous. Some of it really fine. But tell me, uh, you ever listen to any of the older fellas? Oh, yeah, sure. I like uh, John Lennon and the other one with uh, Harry Nelson. Ooh, you go back that far, huh? Oh, yeah, I'm not as young as I look. <laughs> None of us is these days. All right, moving on to 1978, near the end of the 70s, before we get to the 80s, I got to talk about this. This is the other reason why I'm doing this. This is the notorious, probably the most notorious Christmas special of all time, Yeah, is the Star Wars, Star Wars holiday yeah. special. It premiered on November 17, 1978, and it is amazingly bad. I've never seen it. I don't care to. Oh, I've my heard God. it's so bad that it's just not even watchable. It is horrible. And I'm not going to discuss too much about it because there's all of these think pieces about it. And other yeah, podcasts and the internet has already uh, has blown that you up. to that. Yeah. But for those who somehow don't know about it, in a nutshell, essentially the plot is Han Solo has got to get Chewbacca back to his home for Life Day. That's Wookiee Christmas is Life Day. That's stupid. So they got to get back to Life Day. And they're, you know, of course, trying to avoid the Empire to do it. 
everybody's in it from the movie. So you've got Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Anthony Daniels is C-3PO, even uh, James Earl Jones does some Darth Vader voice, I think. So the, all the main actors are in it, and they all look either high as fuck or just uncomfortable being They must there. have been contractually obligated to I do, do I don't know. something. I don't know. But the thing is, this is also uh, an ill-conceived idea. It's not just a, a holiday special. It's a variety show. So they squeezed in the variety show Bing Crosby-esque type of shit into a sci-fi adventure. And it is, it, I can't even describe it. Uh, B. Arthur's in it. She sings a song. Okay, I'd like that. Yeah, and Jefferson Airplane, or Jefferson Starship at the time, has a song. I'd like them too. There's a, a scene in here where Chewbacca's father, whose name is Itchy, so... Just let me back up. His father's name is Itchy. His wife's name is Mala, as I said in the intro, and his son's name is Lumpy. Do you like the name Lumpy? Lumpy is kind of funny. Yeah. So Itchy is basically watching Diane Carroll basically coming on to him and wanting to fuck him and sing this sexually suggestive song on this VR helmet. Uh-huh. So we have basically this Wookiee watching porn uh-huh. in the middle of this holiday oh, special. Okay. Which You're making it sound not that bad. Yeah, I feel like maybe I'm making it sound more appealing to you. But this special is dreadful. Oh, yeah. And I think the pinnacle of it is there's a part where Carrie Fisher, who's clearly coked the fuck out, mm-hmm. sings the Life Day song, which also goes by the Star Wars theme song. And I have it up here, oh, and boy. I'm going to let Slate hear a little taste of that. Yeah. She didn't even come near that note. No. That whole thing is a travesty. It's in a different galaxy than than, than where she was singing it. Well, her oh. mind was in a different galaxy because she I don't was think totally that's coked coke. out. I don't think it's coke. I think that's a quaalude situation. Could... She she looks happy. Right. <laughs> but because of all the drugs she's on. Not the show. Oh, that didn't look good. Yeah, yeah. it's bad. And I have a personal story about that. Uh-huh. So I saw the I remember you actually special. saw this when it came on air, right? I did. The thing is, okay, it's weird. So it came out November 17th, a week before Thanksgiving. And, and that's when, 78, you said? 78. And I was super, super young. But we had just gotten back from Hawaii. I know you weren't born yet. Thanks for pointing that out. Yep. We just got back from Hawaii because we went on a Hawaii adventure. Uh-huh. We'd been gone for like 10 days or whatever. We get back and that Friday and I just found out randomly that it came on and I watched it because of course it's Star Wars and kids love that shit. Yeah. The thing is it never came on again. They yeah. never showed it again. So over the years, at least throughout like the 70s and 80s, I thought I imagined it. Like I thought <laughs> it was a terrible Star Wars fever dream that I had invented yeah, you were, like, in my jet head. lagged and like it just gotten off like a 12 yeah. hour flight and you were like, a day I was like, <laughs> of beauty yeah. and happy. Thought maybe it was a psychotic episode on my part. Yeah. And then finally the internet came around and this kind of came back up and it turned out it was a real thing, but it was so weird that it just came up, never was aired again, which deservedly so because yeah. it's terrible. But as a young, super young kid, yeah, I was like, damn, I invented wow. a Star Wars special. Uh-huh. So that's all I have to say about the Star Wars holiday special, but 
fuck, man. Oof. Yeah. Real and bad. It hurts. It hurts. All right. On a more lighter note, let's talk about 1979 before we move to the 80s. 1979 premiered the John Denver and the Muppets A Christmas Together. Mm-hmm. I vaguely remember this one. Which was, I think, peak in popularity of both of the Muppets and John Denver at that time because he had a lot of hits out, of, out in the late 70s. And then the Muppet movie, the first Muppet movie, came mm-hmm. out in 1979 as well. So they were both riding high, and it's a decent enough show. Yep. The, the Muppets haven't really fucked up their holiday specials necessarily. No, no. So They're, this was a fine a, one. The, the Muppets is a solid property. Yeah, and it was a good way to end the 70s. But also, it was a, again, that variety show program, but with Muppets. Yeah. Let's move on to the 80s, because the 80s is just fucking weird almost as yeah. the Star Wars holiday special. And I'm just going to list out some of the holiday specials that came from popular products and entities of the 80s. Mm-hmm. So I just want to name these out. First of all, from 1980, you got Yogi's First Christmas. That's Yogi Bear. Uh-huh. You have the Smurfs Christmas special from 1982. There's been more than just one, but this was the first one. I remember the Smurfs and Christmas. Christmas comes to Pac-Land, which is Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man, Baby Pac-Man, and Pac-Dog are walking through a wintry forest to collect power pellets when they find ghosts that they must attack. It's got really nothing to do with Christmas, but Pac-Man no, was big in the 80s. Right. I think Santa shows up for some fucking reason, but whatever. Of course. Cabbage Patch First Christmas. Oof. Yeah, I had a Cabbage Patch doll. Yeah, that came we out. And... <laughs> we all did. Didn't you have one? And my sister did. Yeah. But it came out in 1984, and the Cabbage Patch Kids were a big deal in the 80s. So that He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special from 1985. Oof, yeah. yeah. Deck the Halls with Wacky Walls. So this is the Wacky Wall Walker Christmas special. You remember those stupid little toys you threw against the wall? Yeah, and you know, of... I like shit like that. So. Right. Oh, so they made a Christmas special about uh-huh, it. I bet. Garfield Christmas special from 1987. I remember that one. The Claymations Christmas special, whose sole reason for existing is, well, first of all, it's a bunch of different Claymation thing, but this was when the California Raisins were Claymation, oh, yeah, yeah. and they were, this was a Christmas special featuring the California Raisins, mm-hmm. which were invented by a commercial and yeah. had their own Christmas special. That was hot. Yeah. I had all the California Raisin action figures, because you got them in um, <laughs> oh, really? Happy Meals. I'm pretty sure it was Happy Meal, or, something yeah. like that, and I had all of them. That's hilarious. I thought I was so cool. <laughs> then there's the Care Bears Nutcracker Suite from 1988. This was originally planned to be a theatrical release, but it was so fucking terrible that they just released it on the Disney Channel that year, because the Disney Channel was around in the I remember the Care Bears movie, and I thought it was so good. It's... It's dreadful. Devastating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How bad and upsetting (laughs) it is. Yeah. It's really not good. And then Pee-wee's Playhouse Christmas Special. Yeah, I vaguely remember that one, too. Which, actually, I don't think was that bad, and I, and I just had to talk about it because all the special guests that were on it, he had fucking Oprah Winfrey, Cher, Zsa Zsa Gabor, Whoopi Goldberg, Little Richard, Joan Rivers, Magic Johnson, Grace Jones, Katie Lang. Yeah. I mean, Pee-wee's Annette Playhouse Funicello. is like a vaudeville, like, variety show anyway, yeah. so the format is correct to do that. Right, but, yeah, that's kind of a odd little time. Yeah. The batshit crazy one I want to talk about, or one of them, is Mr. T and Emmanuel Lewis Christmas Dream from 1984. You're making this up. No, it's a real thing. Oh, God. Yeah, it's a real thing. So, well, two things for those of you who aren't alive in the 80s, if you're listening to this. Mr. T was a real big deal in the 80s for two reasons. One, he was in Rocky Three. And he was a bad guy in Rocky Three and Two. He was on the A Team, which was a very popular TV adventure show. And Emmanuel Lewis was really a big deal too, because he was a very small African American guy who was like thirty, but he was about two feet tall, and he wasn't a little person. He just was young looking and tiny. And he was in a, a show called Webster, 
And it was about a little black kid that was raised by, you know, rich white people or something. I don't know. Just like different strokes. Yeah. Well, that was during the time where we found little black people and we're like, they're really funny. Dress them up like kids and like they're adults. And it was a weird time. Yeah. very. That's the 80s for you. But they thought Mr. Teen and Manuel Lewis are perfect for a holiday special. And that's what this is. I'm not going to disagree with that. Okay, fair enough. But this is a uh, sort of a variety show, but also has a plot. So it's an unhappy latchkey child, which is a very 80s thing, too. Oh, I remember this. Okay. okay. okay anyway, he learns the true meaning of Christmas when he accepts the guidance of a kindly sidewalk Santa, played by Mr. T. Yeah. And he comes to realize the greatest holiday gift cannot be bought. I remember the... little latchkey kids being a big thing in the 80s. Yeah, I kind of was one near the tail end of the 80s. It was fine. Yeah. We just took care of ourselves. Oof. That was the term, latchkey kid. Yeah. You let yourself in after work because your parents are working. Uh-huh. You know, and they don't love you. Yeah. <laughs> so that was this about. And then Mr. T is crazy in this, and he says some weird-ass speech about baby Jesus smiling or something. It's, it's weird as fuck. Oh, boy. It's pretty weird. Uh, but not as weird as the next things I'm going to talk about in the 80s, which is the next one is called Andy Williams and the NBC Kids Search for Santa. Oh, so my. Andy Williams was another performer similar to Bob Hope and them, and he had 70s Christmas shows as well. He was a crooner, I guess, mm-hmm. Andy Williams. Yeah, sure. So again, in the 80s, not just young little black kids that are raised by white people that is a, a, a hot TV property, but also all the other kids that are in TV shows like Alfonso Ribeiro from Silver Spoons, you know, Punky Brewster, Salil Moonfry. Punky! And we had uh, Mindy Cohen from Facts of Life. She's yeah. in this. You love her. I do. I love the Facts of Life. It's yeah. my favorite show. And then the whole cast from the Cosby show at that time, including Lisa Bonet, they're all in this Andy Williams special where he basically flies them to Finland uh-huh. in this cabin, and they're like, we're going to look for Santa. And okay. then they he sings songs about finding Santa and was Lisa Bonet like, can I just like, I don't know, kill a chicken and rub its blood all over my naked body? So I watched it mm-hmm. and you could tell she's like, why the fuck am I here? Yeah. She's like, I'm 17. Yeah. She's like, I want to get high and I want to leave yeah. here. It's a, it's creepy as fuck. Right. I'm sure the networks were like, this might make $5. Right. And maybe it did. Yeah. But I got to talk about this as a fun fact. So then there's another follow-up special called Andy Williams and the NBC Kids Easter in Rome. I don't know which kids he took because I didn't really care you that just, much. You trailed off there. Yeah. But that one has a special guest star, Pope John Paul II. Really? Yeah. Even even the Pope is like, oh. And he's like, yep. This will make $15? <laughs> yeah. I'm game. He's like, I love Webster. Is Webster in this? Yeah. And they're like, sorry. And he's like, shit. Oh, I do love how everyone will sell their soul. And they do. For a buck. All right. So now I'm moving on. Mm-hmm. And I'm skipping the 90s. Okay. There's no fucking specials worth the shit in the 90s. Okay. Now, there's some properties. Mr. Hankey from South Park is the, the immediate thing that comes to mind. Yeah. He's great. But there's no Christmas specials worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Plus, I want to get to the 2000s because the 2000s and beyond is the era of the Hallmark Christmas yeah, movie. Yeah, And that's the final portion of this episode uh-huh. is the Hallmark Christmas movie phenomenon. Yeah. So let me go into a little bit of history of Hallmark real quick. Just to say that the Hallmark Channel started as the Odyssey Channel, which used to be this religious channel that Hallmark and Jim Henson Productions bought out. Huh. And they still showed some religious stuff, but they started gearing it towards family-oriented program with a non-religious bent. Mm-hmm. So they sort of were working their way away from the religious aspect of stuff for the most part. So Odyssey, which initially, as I was talking about, had was bought somewhere in the mid-90s. On August 5th, 2001, the channel relaunched as the Hallmark Channel proper. So that's mm-hmm. what it became in 2001. 
But the real story is what happened the year before in 2000, because that December is where Hallmark aired its first original Christmas movie called The Christmas Secret, a.k.a. Flight of the Reindeer. Here's the synopsis as I'm reading it. A magical story about a scientist who sets out to prove that reindeer can fly and along the way discovers the true meaning of faith, family, and Christmas. Uh I'm sure it's dreadful. And it would start the trend that would catch on and gain popularity. In 2005, Hallmark had the highest rated ad-supported basic cable movie with a 3.6 household rating that was Meet the Santas, which I didn't even bother to to look that one up. Fuck Mm -hmm. that movie. just sounds dreadful. The following year, they had their highest ratings to date that set a new high rating overall for them, which was a 4.2 million household, I guess. And it was for an original movie called The Christmas Card. Hmm. And, th- and that was in 2006. And it's about someone who was killed in the war in Afghanistan, but they get a Christmas card. I don't I don't know. It's some, <laughs> it's fucking yeah, yeah. shit. Yeah. And then they started a few years later, their countdown to Christmas, which is where they would start somewhere in November and just start working their Christmas movies until Christmas Day. Right. That began in 2011. And then they really started to lean into it in 2013 when it aired 12 original movies, one on Saturday, one on Sunday for six weeks. They just just stacked them. Yeah, yeah. In 2016, 21 original movies aired. And in 2017, 33 originals would air between Hallmark Channel and then their sister channel, Hallmark Movies and Mysteries Channel. And this year, I think it's like 35 came out like this year. It's insane. Other networks would take notice too as this was a big money-making juggernaut. And so now Netflix has started... Uh, getting to the Hallmark Christmas movie game and basically pulling verbatim from their playbook. Just a side note, though, some of the Netflix films have a little harsher language. It's still they're still like PG rated, but they're right. Yeah. But somebody might say shit a couple times mm-hmm. or something in the Netflix movies. There may be a little little more adult themes, but I mean it's still fluff. You know what I mean? Yep. To compete with Netflix, Hallmark started Hallmark Now, mm-hmm. which is their streaming service. Oh, boy. Yeah. So now it's like back and forth, and yeah. it's just like an onslaught of Christmas movies. Now, I'm going to talk about a few of them, but I've watched way too many of these fucking things. Oh, you watched them? I've watched a bunch of them, and it's it's deadening. But I've, I got the formula. I got mm-hmm. the formula right here okay. in case you want to hear it. So mm-hmm. I actually broke it down. So here's the Hallmark Netflix shitty Christmas formula. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Here, here are the factors. A young woman, usually white, like 98% of the time, who is like 20, 30-ish, has a creative job, like a magazine editor, journalist, photographer, or like professional me. blogger. Uh-huh. Yep. Like, just like you, you're a professional blogger. Lives in New York City in a big-ass apartment that she could somehow afford her newspaper salary, mm-hmm. but is from a small town in the Midwest and may or may not have a dead parent. Mm-hmm. That's important. Is usually a little high-strung or very detail-oriented. Also may be adorably clumsy. Could break a priceless vase like nobody's business, but still seem endearing. Mm-hmm. Has a douchey slash wimpy slash cheating fiance that she's too good for, that she plans on marrying on Christmas Eve in some small town. They always want to get married on Christmas Eve. Uh-huh, it happens right, every course. fucking time or Christmas Day. Of course, if she's single, then she hates Christmas and she's only focused on her career. So she has one or the other. Oh, sounds familiar. Yeah. Meets an easygoing, good-looking man who she doesn't like at all when she first meets. But, of course, you know they're going to end up together, who also may or may not have a dead parent. Mm-hmm. Almost hooks up with good-looking man, but then there's conflict stemming from miscommunication because nobody knows how to talk to each other anymore. Right. Decides that marriage to the douche fiancé is practical and plans to go through with it. Mm-hmm. Or doesn't have time to be in a relationship with great guy. Then she decides she loves easygoing scoundrel in the middle of other marriage and stops marriage to leave with that guy. She couldn't figure it out ahead of time. It's got to be in the middle of marriage. And then learns the true meaning of Christmas. Uh-huh. Right. But she has to do it through another white man. Right. Yeah, yeah, another yeah. white man has to show her that, like, the other white man that she's yes. with isn't good enough. Yes. She can't learn whole... it on her own and be happily single. Right. Yeah. 
Now, the variations to this, there are variations to the story. So some slight variations. You include a struggling family business being bought out by a big evil corporation. Uh I do love that plot. A magical MacGuffin. Uh And a prince. Uh Still a prince in there. I think I know where you're headed with this prince business. Uh, We'll talk Uh talk more about it. They all follow this generic playbook. And they all have generic-ass names, like the Christmas Prince, speaking mm-hmm. of Prince. Both one and two, which I have seen. There's a two? Yeah, part two oh, came out boy. this year. Wow. A gingerbread romance, a majestic Christmas, the holiday calendar, entertaining Christmas, and Christmas Switch. Those are the titles of these things. Mm-hmm. The titles are even wider than the people that are in them. You're the reason these things are making money. You watch them. Shut up. <laughs> Stop ruining Christmas, Slate. But there are some more humorous titles that try to find some creativity, but they're still just as bland in their own way. Like Christmas Crush, mm-hmm. Pride, Prejudice, and Mistletoe, Ugh. A Shoe Addict's Christmas, and A Very Merry Mix-Up. These are all like real properties. Oh, God. It's they just... sound ridiculous. sound like somebody made those up. Well, it's just, I work in advertising, and it's my least favorite trope, which is usually, women are stupid. Right, right. Yeah. So let's make a shoe lover's Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Women love shoes. Yeah. Magical shoes. All right. So it's fun to joke the blandness and same whiteness about these movies. And that is a problem. There has been controversy about that. Last year, there was, and I think this year, more films with people of color as the protagonists in these movies. Dumb white people movies. They just make them black. Right. Yeah. They're still bland as shit movies. But I want to talk about two in particular because there's one called You Can't Fight Christmas and Miss Me This Christmas. Both have African-American protagonists. But the thing is, these movies like intersect with each other mm-hmm. so they're like in a shared universe so now these movies like are, oh, are like in they're this like shared meta. cinematic universe like it's fucking marvel or something yeah they're like metaing themselves yeah, yeah they've evolved into like this big like well, interconnected nightmare everybody wants a franchise yeah and that's that's it so this thing is just insane just to show that this thing is has not slowing down at all. Last year, the first weekend kickoff of Countdown to Christmas drew 17.6 million viewers. That was in 2017, up from 15.2 million in 2016. And I think all the Hallmark channels combined in 2017, because like Hallmark Mysteries and the other ones, generated over a half billion dollars of ad revenue mm-hmm. during the Christmas season. So I imagine this year it's going to be even bigger. I mean, these things are everywhere. And I saw these movies. I told you I saw Christmas Crush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're bad. I had to stop. I mean, you look into the abyss long enough and it kind of looks back into you, mm-hmm. you know? So yep. I had to stop. I did it for research. I did it for our audience. I don't believe you. He loves Christmas. These movies are dreadful. They're just they're just so bad. So you just kept watching more of them? I didn't say that it made sense. I just said they're <laughs> terrible. The thing about these things, too, and I just want to just talk about it a bit, is that they're not like the room bad. Right, sure. They're But they're bad enough that they're just like... They just follow terrible. a shitty formula. They ask the question, what if Lifetime made Christmas movies? And right. then they just did that. And they just yeah. did that. And then they all just take variations of themselves. Yeah. yeah, and that's exactly what happened. And it's weird, too. So that's the new Christmas special, are these shitty Christmas movies about princes and whatever. It's just, I can't think of anything else that follows any of the old school Christmas special format necessarily. I think Stephen Colbert did a parody Christmas special a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Can you think of anything? Mm, no. No, this is just taking over all of it. Yeah. And I, this is kind of where I'm going to wrap this up. So I'm going to try to pull all of this together okay. in one big bow, tie it up in a string, mm. some of my favorite things, mm. and say, that I find it interesting that the concept of the holiday special is not only still with us, but it's kept with that whole Dickensian spirit of a Christmas carol, if you think about it, even if it is kind of on the fringes. The Christmas variety show that started by the likes of Perry Como and Bob Hope and Bing Crosby 
uh, just to name a few, had a certain spend time with family over the holidays and enjoy each other's company over song and jokes kind of vibe. You know, mm-hmm. it's all gather on the campfire, we'll do a production number. And it stuck with that format, even through the 70s where they tried to wedge Star Wars into it. That didn't quite work. However, right. the plot of Star Wars was about getting Chewbacca's family together for the life day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, life day. So that whole thing really is still... On. Yeah, no shit. That whole thing is still part of that Charles Dickens mindset of getting family together for the holidays. The 60s animated specials embodied this as well to include throwing a little religious reverence in the holiday, like Charlie Brown, who I think definitely handled the topic, but then, you know, the Rankin Bass basically had a fucking long-eared donkey take Jesus to the manger, so they're a little more heavy-handed in their Jesus-y stuff. But... You know, the 80s really doubled down on the variety show or get a bunch of celebrities together and talk about the true meaning of Christmas. So I think they still kept with that theme of family or at least even your stupid TV family. And of course, Mr. T, you got to throw Mr. T in there. Even the Hallmark movie phenomenon where the lesson seems to be for a white girl to finally realize that the most important thing is to find a man for Christmas have a lot of those underlying themes throughout. I mean, if you watch a Hallmark movie, which I don't recommend, but if you were to find yourself stuck watching one, and especially if it has like a rich guy or a prince that's the good guy, there's always a scene where he spends time with orphans uh-huh. or less privileged people, you know, and, and learns the true meaning of Christmas or shows that he's got a giving spirit, which is also direct line back to A Christmas Carol. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the TV Christmas special is essentially, if you're going to break it all down, is basically comfort food for us even back then you know it's always a feel-good thing you know bob hope did his thing during world war ii and it was nice to have family together again charles dickens that was a depressing time when that story came out there's a lot of poverty there was a depression going on at that time when that came out so it uplifted people's spirits and i think that's what these christmas specials are supposed to do you know Again, some of this uh, comfort food, as I called it, have more substance than others. You've got the Grinch, which is a great theme and is still a, a great watch. Yet you've got the Hallmark stuff now, which is mostly empty calories. But still, it's a way to put something on in the background that has a nice little Christmas message where you and your family can get drunk and kind of make fun of them mm-hmm. at your whim. Yep. So what do you think? That's it. That's my Christmas special. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't talk about, is it called A Christmas Prince? Is so the Netflix movie? So, yes. All right. We can talk about A Christmas Prince. So, I saw Christmas Prince 1 and 2. Oh, you saw them? Yeah. Yeah. They're really... I only just looked at the memes, which are hilarious. Well, they are hilarious because somebody made a drinking game out of, I think, The Christmas Prince. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty funny. And it's like, take a drink every time someone mentions a dead parent. Take uh-huh. a drink every time a kiss is interrupted. Take a drink every time like the woman breaks something, because these women oh, these yeah, always s- break something. Yeah, she's like, whoa, and I'm clumsy, because I'm not a princess, right. but I met a prince, and we're in love. On that note, we're getting the hell out of here mm-hmm. and enjoying Christmas festivities, which is basically going to get drunk. Yeah. Happy Life Day, Slate. Oh, don't remind me of Life Day. <laughs> yeah, that was awful. But uh, yeah, happy holidays to everybody out there. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to our random holiday special special mm-hmm. about holiday specials. Thanks for tricking me. That's uh, my gift to you. Thanks. And to everybody you out better there. Better have gotten me a real gift. Yeah, I got you. I got you a Chia Pet or something. Okay, great. great. So uh, to take us out, I have a song I'm going to play that I should have played during the Bad Santas episode. It was a perfect fit for that episode. I just didn't know about it at the time. So I'm going to say Merry Christmas to everybody and play us out on that song. Okay. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Down in the workshop, all the elves are making toys for the good Gentile girls and the good Gentile boys. When the boss busted in, nearly scared him half to death. Had a rifle in his hands and cheap whiskey on his breath. 
From his beard to his boots, he was covered with ammo. Like a big fat drunk, disgruntled, yuletide Rambo. And he smiled as he said, with a twinkle in his eye, Merry Christmas to all, now you're all gonna die. The that this thing is not picking up my stomach just being like oh you bu- bubbly it's a, that's the christmas spirit coming out of your ass oh God. it's really coming with a vengeance too it's all three ghosts of christmas <laughs> the vegan christmas to pass what you don't know about the christmas of shit's past oh god let me tell you about it <laughs> that's pretty funny